You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Out with the old, in with the new. That's a phrase that we use when we step out of one year into a new year. Out with the old. And with the new. I want to show you this morning in the scriptures that that's a phrase that not only applies to a new year, it's a phrase that applies to a new life. The Bible teaches that when we are saved, when we place our faith and trust in Christ and his finished work, we are born. Again, that's what the Bible says. We are born again. We become brand new creations in Christ. And Paul wants us to understand in our text this morning that that means something for our daily living. There should be an ever-increasing desire to say spiritually, out with the old, in with the new. I want to show you that in Ephesians chapter 4. So turn there with me, Ephesians chapter 4. We are continuing our study line by line, verse by verse, this wonderful letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians in the first century city of Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 17. When you found your place, I want to ask you this morning, if you are physically able to please stand with me, In honor of the reading of God's Word, the Bible is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we are privileged to come together as a faith family and study the inerrant Word of God. Amen? I got a little tickled when we sang the last song and our children dismissed a children's church. My son is one of those children, and uh, he led the way out of here. He's like, Dad's about to preach. We're gone. So... uh, Anyway, but I'm, glad, I'm glad you stayed. I'm glad you stayed. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say, Paul writes, and testify in the Lord that you, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt, through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and here it is, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we are grateful 
for grace. We need it. Lord, apart from you, we can do nothing. Apart from you, Lord, this would be a wasted moment. But Lord, you're here. You're in this place. You're present with us. And you draw near in a special way by your Spirit when we study your Word. We know you draw near when we praise your great name. And Lord, we know you draw near when we expectantly read the Scriptures, knowing that you're going to speak to us today. So Lord, use your Word in our lives. Touch our hearts. Change us. Transform us. Grant us the grace of understanding. Grant us the grace of inclination, God, that we would be inclined to respond to what you show us. So we can truly say as believers, and mean it, out with the old, in with the new. And we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As I've shared with you uh, through our journey through this book called Ephesians, this book divides into two really even sections. Chapters 1 through 3, as J. Sidlow Baxter says, describe our wealth in Christ. Paul spends three chapters reminding us of all the spiritual blessings that are ours in Jesus. He, he, he shows us what the gospel is all about for our lives. And then the second half of the book, chapters 4 through 6, deal with our walk with Christ. After we've seen our wealth in Christ, we want to then live that out. Walk according to what Christ has done for us. That's why he says there in chapter 4, verse 1, that he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So Paul is basically saying, now that you are saved, live like it. Now that, that Christ has poured out his spiritual riches on you, live in accordance with those riches. Walk with Christ. And he deals with seven different areas in chapter 4. He deals with unity and he deals with maturity. And now he's going to deal with some very specific things in our Christian lives. But before he deals with those specific things like telling the truth, controlling your anger, forgiving others. We'll get to those in the coming weeks. Before he gets to those very specific things, he wants to help us to understand that there's a, a, a contrast in our lives. There, there is the old us and the new us. And he wants us to understand how to engage that reality. So if you look back in this text, there are three ideas that I want you to see. Very, three very simple ideas, but ideas that are crucial for us to live the Christian life. First of all, idea number one, you were far from God. That's what Paul wants the believers in Ephesus to understand. That's what we need to understand. That before we met Christ, we were far from God. Look what he says there uh, in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. When he uses the, the, the word Gentiles there, he speaks of those who are far from God, those that do not uh, know the gospel or who have not responded to the gospel. He says you must no longer walk as the Gentiles, those who are lost, do in the futility of their minds. 
He says there, that is not, verse 20, the way you learned Christ. So what he's saying is this, remember that before you met Christ, you were far from God. And what we see in this passage, this first section of this passage, is we see the downward spiral of sin. We see the spiral that everyone is engaged in that is apart from Christ. So you say, Pastor Wayne, what is the downward spiral of sin? Well, there are three parts to it. First of all, there is, uh, that, uh, there's the reality of hardened hearts. Look what it says back in verse 18. He says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Why are they ignorant? Look what it says. Due to their hardness of heart. So kind of read that passage backwards. Because they are hard of heart, they're ignorant. Because they're ignorant, they're alienated from the life of God and darkened in their understanding. So the the foundational issue with those who are far from God, those who are unsaved, is that they are hard-hearted. They've hardened their hearts against the the truth of God, against the way of God, against the Christ. They've, They've hardened their hearts against what God wants to say to them and what God wants to do in them. Hardened hearts. That's the first step in the downward spiral of sin, a heart that does not want to respond to truth. And just kind of a quick aside here, because I think this is really, really important. You need to understand that you can be religious and have a hard heart. Did you know that? You can be a very religious person, involved in religious things, but still harden your heart against the truth of God and the way of God and the work of God in your life. For example, over in Mark chapter 3, Jesus is in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And there's a man in the synagogue with a a, a handicap. He's got a withered hand, the Bible says. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees, were gathered watching because they knew this Jesus likes to heal folks. And if he healed on the Sabbath, they had him because he was working on the Sabbath day. So they're all watching. They're all seeing what Jesus is going to do with this man with the withered hand. And listen to what it says in Mark chapter 3, verse 5. He looked around at them, Jesus looked around at them with anger. Listen, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Now think about that. Here are these religious leaders. The Messiah is right in front of them. The Messiah helps a man, heals a man with a withered hand, and they leave and plot to kill the Messiah. That's a hardened heart. Yet they were very, very religious. You can be very religious and have a hardened heart. You can be... Non-religious have a hardened heart. But that's the first part of the downward spiral of sin. Hardened hearts. And then comes darkness. After you've hardened your heart against the truth of God, the way of God, the will of God, the word of God, darkness comes. Look what it says back in verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Being darkened in their understanding. That phrase, being darkened, is a perfect participle, which may not mean much to you, but but it's very important grammatically in this text. 
Because it indicates an ongoing or continual condition of spiritual darkness. People who are far from God, people who are lost and in their sins are continually experiencing darkness. In the ancient world and in today's time, light is a universal symbol for understanding. So darkness here in this passage implies ignorance. And the, the, the verse here mentions ignorance there. It says the ignorance that is in them. And also, darkness speaks of immorality in God's Word. And immorality is mentioned in the next verse. It mentions the sensuality and every kind of impurity. And so the idea is this. People who are unsaved, people far from God, harden their heart against God's truth. And then their condition leads them into darkness. Spiritual, moral, ethical, practical ignorance. And ongoing immorality. Which leads to the third part of the downward spiral. There's hardness of heart, there's darkness, but then there's a complete loss of restraint. Look what it says in verse 19. They have become callous and given themselves up, given themselves over, completely surrendered to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That phrase that says they have become callous means that that these folks have lost the capacity to feel shame or embarrassment. It's, It's a complete loss of sensitivity to right or wrong. They've given themselves up to unrestrained immorality and unrestrained appetites. They are rushing headlong into behaviors and attitudes that grieve the heart of God. That's what it's like to be far from God. You harden your heart. You live and walk in spiritual darkness and ignorance. And before you know it, you are calloused to the very idea of right and wrong, and you are rushing headlong to every type of impurity. Now this same spiral is laid out in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 tells us the problem with humanity. Humanity's hardened its heart against the, the truth of God. And because of that, humanity is walking in darkness. And because of that, humanity is, is, is living in unchecked immorality and rebellion against God, unconcerned with what God says. So speaks here of a complete loss of restraint, a callousness. Now, here's just a quick observation. In my lifetime, in my lifetime, I've never seen the kind of calloused indifference to God that I'm seeing in our society today. It is... Unbelievable how people are living with no sense of restraint, totally putting aside what God says, with no concern for who God is, doing what their sinful hearts lead them to do with no restraint. What we're seeing in our society is the the bottom of this downward spiral. Hardened heart. Darkened understanding and ignorance, callousness, unrestrained rebellion. And so Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus, remember what it was like. 
Remember what it was like when you were far from God. Years ago, I went on a trip to South Asia for missions. I don't tell you the exact area where we were, but it was a long way from home. In fact, before I left, I looked at a globe, and I looked at where my home was on that globe, and then I looked on the globe where the spot was to where I was headed. It was on the exact opposite side of the globe. It was as far away as I could get from my home. And, you know, plane ride after plane ride after plane ride, and then, you know, some uh, auto transportation. Uh, I mean, it was an eerie feeling because I realized I could get no farther away from home than I was at that moment. I was far from home. And Paul's saying, people that don't know Christ are far from God. Far from God. And that's not a good place to be. Because when you are far from God, as far away as you can get, you are living in that downward spiral of sin. So he says here, number one, you were far from God. The second idea is this. He says you were far from God, but you encountered Christ. It gets good. Look what it says there in verse 20 and 21. But that is not the way you learned Christ. That's not who you are anymore. That's the way you used to live, but now it's different. That's not the way that you learned Christ, assuming, he says, that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. He uses some really interesting terminology here. It's really classroom terminology. He uses the phrase, you learned Christ, you heard, you were taught, you embraced the truth. He's saying here that, that when you became Christians, when you heard the gospel and responded in faith, you were in a sense enrolled in the school of Christ. You became his disciples, which by the way is what discipleship is. It's a following of Christ whereby he is your leader, your teacher, your Lord. If you look there in your notes, here's the reality Paul wants them to walk away with. If you are born again, Jesus saved you. He saved you from that life of rebellion against God. And he not only saved you, he is teaching you how to live for him. Hey, question. Aren't you glad that at the moment of conversion, God didn't say, Okay, hey, good luck, see you in heaven. I was saved when I was nine. I'm so glad God didn't say, hey, do the best you can do, Wade. No. The Lord Jesus stepped into my life, and I've been walking through a process whereby Jesus is teaching me what it means to live for him. He doesn't leave us alone. He saves us, but we are enrolled in the school of Christ. And he begins to teach us. By his word, by his people around us, by his spirit within us, he begins to teach us the things of God. How to live for him. So, so here's what Paul was saying. You were far from God, but you've met the master teacher. You've met Jesus. He's forgiven you. And now he is, he is patiently, consistently, compassionately teaching you how to live the Christian life. So the first idea is this. You were far from God. The second idea is this. 
You encountered Christ, which leads to the third idea and the, and the point of this sermon. The third idea is this. Now live like it. <laughs> live like it. You're far from God. You've been saved. Live like it. You've met Christ, the Savior, the Lord. Live like it. Christ has stepped into your life to transform you. Live like it. You're no longer far from God. Live like it. You have the Holy Spirit. Live like it. That's the point of this text. That's when Paul begins to say, out with the old, in with the new. Look what it says in verse 22. It says, you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Here it is. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. And so here in this text, verses 22 through 24, Paul highlights the contrast, the difference between the old nature, he calls it there the old self, or literally the old man, and the the new nature, the the new self, the, the new man. There's a contrast here. I want to just walk through that contrast very quickly. The old self, verse 22, is being corrupted. Look what it says. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So, so your old self is being corrupted. The new self, he says, has been created. It's new. It's brand new. The old self is driven by impurity. Verse 19, it says, they've, those that don't know Christ... Uh, are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So that's what your old life used to be like. And so if you're living according to your old self, you are driven by impurity. But the new self, verse 24 says, is created in righteousness and holiness. If you live according to your new self, you begin to live for the Lord and obey Him and let your light shine. Third, the old self is deceitful. Look what it says in verse 22. It says... It is corrupt through deceitful desires. That's the old self. The new self is all about truth. Look in verse 24. It's created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. True righteousness and holy truth. Now, everybody just come in real close and listen for a moment. When you were saved, when you were born again, you were forgiven of all of your sins. Amen? That's, that, let me say it again because that's, I don't think you just heard what I just said. When you were saved, when you were born again, you were forgiven of all of your sins. Amen? Good news. Now that's not all that happened at the moment of conversion. The Bible also says that at the moment of conversion, Romans 6, just like Christ died on the cross, just like Christ was crucified, your old self was crucified. That means that Because of Jesus' intersection in your life, the old self lost its power over you. So the old self, the the flesh, the sin nature that we're all born with, listen to me, if you're a Christian, no longer has power and dominion over your life. You don't have to give in. You don't have to say yes to the old self. But here's the reality. The old self is still there. Do you know that? Now when we get to heaven, the old sin nature will be eradicated. What a day that will be. We sang it earlier, right? What a day it will be. We see Jesus. There's no more Satan. There's no more immoral messages bombarding our lives. And the sin nature, the flesh, will be taken away, eradicated. 
will be perfect. But until that day, the sin nature is still in us. The old self. But, Paul says, when you became a Christian, there's now a new you. He calls it there the new man. Created by God. You're a, 2 Corinthians 5.17, you're a new creation in Christ. So, so here's what's going on in your life as a Christian. You ready? There's the old you. There's the new you. And they are at war. Let me say it again. There's the old you, the sin nature, which no longer has power over you, but it's still there. And the new you, and they are at war. And the, the old you, the old sin nature, is constantly tugging on your sleeve. Constantly. Hey, remember what we used to do? Remember how we used to talk? Remember how we used to think? Remember how we used to treat people? Remember how we used to be selfish? Remember how we used to live? Hey, let's go back and do that again. And you're constantly being lured and tempted by your old sin nature. Paul says it like this over in Romans chapter 7. He said, I find this principle in me. He said, there's good things I want to do that I don't do. And there's bad things I don't want to do that I do. And Paul says, what's going on? And Paul said, I, I find this principle in my life. There is a war raging in the members of my body. He's talking about the old self and the new self. Constantly at war with one another. Now the old self has been rendered powerless. It's been crucified with Christ. You have the Spirit of God now in you to give you victory over the old self. But you can still say yes to the old self. And give it its power back. So what does that mean for our day-to-day -day Christian living? Here's what it means. We have to make a decision every day. Yesterday I read, uh, in, in my time alone with God, I read Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 verse 23, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament says that it, Jesus said, anyone that wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. A daily death to self. A daily decision. So we have to make a decision every day, listen, that we will say no to the old self and yes to the new nature God has created in us. We've got to make the decision every single day. Or let me say it like this. We need to live, daily live in a way that reflects our spiritual position. We're born again. We're Christians. We've been made brand new creations in Christ. The Spirit indwells us. So live like it. Our living should reflect the change that God has wrought in us through His Son, Jesus Christ. The old self has been crucified and God has made you brand new. Listen, live like it. You were far from God. Jesus intersected your life. Live like it. That's the point of this text. Now, I want to get very practical and we'll close in just a moment. But there is a key to this. There is something practically you can do to see more and more victory over the old self. 
to live like the new creation you are in Christ. And this is so very critical. And it's right between the idea of out with the old, in with the new. In fact, look back with me in verse 22. I'm sorry, verse, yeah, verse 22. He says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, is corrupt through your deceitful desires. So, so it's like a garment. Take off your old self. Don't wear it anymore. And then look in verse 24. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. So, out with the old, in with the new. But look at that verse right between those two ideas. This is the key to putting off the old and putting on the new. He says there, verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. If you're going to say no to the old you and yes to what God is doing in your life through his new creation, you've got to be renewed in your minds. Paul says it like this in Colossians 3.10. Put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This is the key to you living in spiritual victory. The renewal of your mind. One scholar, G.B. Caird, said this, Because the decay was initiated by the futility of minds alienated from God, verse 17, the reversal of the process must also begin with the mind. The renewal of the mind. In other words, change, listen to me, change happens first in our minds. And that takes hold of our heart, which leads to attitudes and actions that reflect the glory of Jesus. The renewed mind is the key to living in accordance with your new nature. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Verse 2, and be not conformed to this world. That word conformed, is the Greek word there, it means to be pressed into a mold. Don't let the world press you into its mold. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. That's the word for metamorphosis. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformation happens first in our mind. Amen? Now, how does God specifically do that? Consistently through the Bible, we see, and this is so glorious, I wish I had time to spend more time here, but all throughout the Bible, we see God works through His Word, applied to our lives by His Spirit. All through Scripture, you see the Word and the Spirit. The Spirit and the Word. That's how God works. So here's the deal. When you read your Bible consistently, the Spirit of God works and applies that truth to your mind and renews your mind and makes your mind Newer and newer and newer and more Christ-focused. And as that happens, your life begins to change because you start saying no to the old self and yes to the new self. Listen to me. You will not live in spiritual victory apart from a consistent intake of the Word of God. It's just not going to happen. Or use bad grammar, it ain't going to happen. Not going to happen. Some of you wonder why you're being 
chewed up and spit out by life and why Satan is having a field day in your life and, and, and why you're experiencing defeat after defeat after defeat is because you're not in the Word. Your mind is not being renewed. And so instead of saying no to the old self, you're saying yes to the old self. And not living the way God created you to live. So here's what that means for your life. Read your Bible consistently. Listen, folks. I'm going to get just real practical for a moment. Figure this out. Figure this out. We have more access to the Word of God than human history has ever seen. You can buy a Bible at Walmart. You can download free apps on your phone or on your tablet. Free. And if you're busy driving somewhere, don't have time to read, you can hit play and it'll read it to you. We've got so much access to the Word of God, but I'm not sure the church has ever been at a place of more spiritual ignorance than it is today. The church in America is languishing because we're not engaging the Bible. We're not being renewed in our minds, thus seeing a transformed life. Listen, figure this out. If you don't consistently read your Bible, hear your pastor say, Today, today, draw a line in the sand and say, Holy Spirit of God, help me. I'm making a commitment today that I will read the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. Read it consistently. Get a Bible reading plan. Google Bible reading plans. Google F260. A lot of our D groups are using F260 Bible reading plan. Or I use the Discipleship Journal Bible reading plan. There are all kinds of Bible reading plans out there. And it doesn't matter if you do it in a year or two years or three years. What matters is that you are consistently working your way through the Bible. It is a treasure. And as we read the Bible and the Spirit works in our lives, our minds are renewed. And that's where we find spiritual victory. Figure this out, Christian. Figure this out. Don't come back next Sunday having not taken your Bible down off the shelf. Read your Bible. It will change your life. It'll transform you. It'll fill you with hope and joy and expectancy and peace and vision and guidance and direction and life and fulfillment. It'll change your life. Read your Bible. Please. This is where renewing of the mind starts. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and transforms your thinking. And that changes everything. Renewal of the mind. Let me read you one more quote and we'll be through. This comes from Dane Ortland. He writes, We tend to think we are put on this earth to make a name for ourselves. The Bible dismantles that notion and replaces it with the knowledge that we are put here to spread God's reputation and honor. We tend to think God will accept us if we meet a minimum bar of personal goodness. The Bible dismantles that. And insist that God accepts us when we lay down the attempt to offer God anything of our own and instead receive His favor based on the work of His own Son. We tend to think we're not 
worth much and are insignificant in the big scheme of things. The Bible dismantles that and tells us we are made in God's image with inherent dignity and that we were made to rule the cosmos in eternal glory. We tend to think the things of this world, such as food, sex, and long vacations, satisfy our souls. The Bible dismantles that and teaches us that gifts can never quench our soul thirst. Only the giver can do that. And Ortland goes on to say, listen, the Bible re-educates us. That's his way of saying it renews our mind. The Bible re-educates us. The Bible makes sages out of fools. The Bible corrects us. Dane Ortland is saying here, the Bible renews your mind. But you've got to engage the Word of God. It'll change things. It'll change your attitude. It'll change your relationships. It'll change your perspective. It'll change your priorities. The Bible applied to your mind by the Holy Spirit will allow you to say no, no to the old self. And yes to the new creation you are in Christ. You think about that. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.